Thanks for being at Open Life today. We're just going to jump right in for the sake of time. Um, but basically, we're walking through the book of Luke, story by story. And so now, in the section of Scripture that we're talking about today, we're going to meet up with John again. And the last time we've heard from him was when King Herod put him in prison. If you remember, John was sent by God much in the same manner that Jesus was. He was prophesied to his parents that he was chosen by God to be devoted to him. And in verse 117 of Luke, it says, To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Jesus' mother Mary and Elizabeth meet up a little later. And while they're both pregnant, we hear that John leapt in Elizabeth's womb, his mother, and so when she met Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus. So John grows up, and he begins his ministry to the Jews, and he called them to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, as we read in verse 3-8 of Luke. And he's baptizing people in the Jordan River who have accepted his message. But he calls out King Herod for committing adultery with his brother's wife. So he's eventually thrown in prison, and that's where we are left in the story of John the Baptist. So let's Read Luke seven eighteen through 23 and get caught up in the story. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So the first point today and what we want to hit on is that Jesus wants people to recognize who he is, not just be told who he is. The story just starts after we read the news of Jesus and, and all that he was doing. The miracles, the teachings, they're spreading throughout the surrounding area. Among the people who heard of these great miracles and teachings were John's disciples. Now John is in prison, so his disciples have to tell him the news of everything that is going on in the world. In response to the stories of Jesus, he sends two of his own disciples to Jesus to ask him if he truly is this Savior that they've been waiting for if he is the one who was to come, the one who was prophesied about. And so Jesus is saying, you know, John, I could tell you I am the Son of God. I am your Savior. I am your Messiah. But take, a look at what's ha- but take a look at what's happening. Take a listen to what people are saying. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. You see, it would have been easy for Jesus to say, yes, I am the one who is to come. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. It would have been true. But would that answer have come to the conclusion of the belief and trust that Jesus wants from us? Jesus wants people to decide to follow him, to trust him, to put all their hope in him once they truly believe that he is the Son of God. He could tell them that he's the Son of God, but that might lead to doubt and always wondering, Is he really who he says he is? If Jesus only told us who he was, we could accept it, but then we would have to wonder. But when we see what Jesus has done and when we believe that he is true, then our belief outweighs just being told who Jesus is. So oftentimes, Jesus will use what is going on. He uses his fruit to create the case for who he is. John, listen. 
I'm healing people over here. The dead are rising. Hope is being given to the poor. Prophecies are being filled, being fulfilled. So John, who do you say I am? Our fruit should speak louder than our words. And our fruit should always point people closer and closer to knowing Jesus. Our fruit should help people recognize who Jesus is. We shouldn't just have to tell them who Jesus is. John is just trying to figure out if Jesus' message is matching up with his own. So let's look at what John's message was. In Luke 3.3, we read that he, John, went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's message was repent and be baptized. Repent and your sins will be forgiven. And then the baptism is a symbol of showing that transformation. In Luke 3, 12 through 14, we also read that tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So John's message is of two things. It's first of repentance for forgiveness, and then it's also for everyone. Even the tax collectors are choosing to accept it. Even the soldiers are choosing to be baptized and repent of their sin. People that were more dedicated to the Romans than the Jewish people were choosing to repent and be baptized. You see, John was the last prophet of an old era where God was silent. But he was also ushering in and announcing a new kingdom. But Jesus had to come for that kingdom to arrive. John and Jesus' messages were the same, but John needed reassuring that what he was preparing for was actually going to come to fruition. Jesus ended his message by, to John, to his disciples, to the two disciples, by saying, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus ends his message by telling John not to fall away because it's not happening maybe the way he was expecting or the way he thought it was going to happen. You were right, John, in preparing people for me, and I am here, Jesus says. John was coming to prepare people for Jesus, and Jesus was coming, the kingdom was arriving. And so we point to the next point, point number two, blessed are those who see, hear, and follow Jesus. I love that we've been talking about Luke, and we've been talking about people who have ears to hear and eyes to, he- eyes to see Jesus' message. You see, some people didn't accept it. Some people didn't see it. Some people couldn't understand. But those who had ears to hear, those who had eyes to see what Jesus was doing, they followed Jesus. And that's what we need to do. We can't let our expectation for who Jesus is get in the way of us following him. And in Jesus' time, this happened so much. There were three different ideas of who people wanted Jesus to be, who people wanted their Savior to be. The first was either a violent general to overthrow the Roman rule, someone who would free the Jewish people from, the, from Rome, from being, from being manipulated by Rome. The second is a new physical king to lead Israel like in the past, like in the Old Testament, because that worked out so well as we read through the Old Testament of king after king turning to God but then turning away from God, turning to God and turning away from God, but people wanted that. The third thing is just, some people just wanted a prophet who would just bring judgment on people. That would finally put people in their place. And so Jesus did come to bring a new order to things. He was a new idea. He was a a new savior. But he came in a way that no one expected. And for some, he came in a way that they didn't even want. You see, Jesus came bringing hope 
hanging out with outcasts, lost causes. He came humbly to lead the humble. Jesus said it himself in his hometown back in Luke 3.18 when he was rejected. But the, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's citing the prophet Isaiah here, telling people that he is. He's saying, I am the scriptures coming true right before your eyes. But you see, people couldn't see it. They wouldn't believe it. Jesus is the person they were all looking for, waiting for, praying for, but in a package that they could not accept, a package they could not receive, unless they were humble enough to see it. Jesus said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. The English Standard Version says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Imagine that, being offended by Jesus. He's such a nice guy. He's, he brings peace. He brings hope. He brings love. Who would be offended by Jesus? Jesus is saying, if you have preconceived ideas or notions on what your Savior would be like, what he would look like, who he would hang out with, how he would go about his business, and I have not fulfilled those things and ideas for you, don't let that get in the way of following me and receiving forgiveness and right relationship with God. So for people like the Pharisees, the religious who wanted a king, or for the political people who wanted to start a revolution, or for even for the people who wanted fire and ember to fall from heaven and bring judgment on people, Jesus really could have offended those people because he didn't come the way they wanted. They could have said, Jesus, you're not what we're expecting. How can we follow you? You offend us. Jesus, you were born in a barn and don't come for money. How can you lead us? Jesus, you hang out with sinners. How could a Savior associate himself with such filthy people? Jesus, you heal on the Sabbath. You forgive sins. How could you offend us like that and expect us to follow you? Jesus, you say, turn the other cheek. You say, love your enemies, forgive others. How could we ever overthrow, with that, overthrow Rome with that attitude? Jesus is greater than all of those things. The kingdom of God is greater than those ideas. He's greater than our religious laws and our need for a king. He's greater than our political affiliation and want and need for a revolution. And he has enough grace for us to die for us so that we would be free from the wrath of judgment. And so we fast forward to our situation today, right now. Throughout the world, people desire for political leaders to save them and make decisions for them. The religious people of our time, from all religions, stand up on their soapboxes being offended by anything and everything that people do against them. Yet Jesus is still living today, saying, I am bigger than those things. Would you just see, would you just have eyes to see, would you just have ears to hear and follow me? Would you follow my way? I just love that song, Scandal of Grace, that we sing in worship sometimes. Because it's that scandal of grace that really shows why and how Jesus came to earth. It's that scandal that Jesus came to save people just like me, people who have sinned, people who don't have it all together. And it's that scandal, it's that like idea of a scandal that Jesus came not in the way that anyone expected and that actually offended people. 
It's a scandal that Jesus came so perfectly, lived a perfect life, and died and rose again to save people who are sinful, the, the poor. He saved the marginalized. He saved every single person. He came for everyone. And it's a scandal to some people because it didn't come in the way we were expecting. It didn't come in the way the Pharisees wanted it. It didn't come in the way of violence. It just came in a humble way, bringing peace, bringing hope, and bringing forgiveness to normal people just like you and me. Jesus' coming to earth was not about politics. It was not about statehood or even religion, but rather something so very personal that you and I would have life and that we'd have life to the full. You know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes so that you and I would have life. Life for the poor, life for the sick, the hurting, the marginalized, life for anyone willing to see, life for anyone willing to hear, and life for anyone who would choose to follow Jesus. So John's messengers go back to John, and Jesus begins speaking to the crowd. The crowd is probably wondering, was John's message one of repentance, one for the tax collector, one for anyone? Was that the same message that Jesus was bringing? Or do we have two different prophets with two different messages? So Jesus says in Luke seven twenty four through 28, What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send you my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So here we have Jesus explaining that John truly was a prophet, that his message was true. In fact, John was fulfilling the scriptures. John was preparing the way for Jesus so that Jesus' message would be received. We read in Malachi 3.1 from the Old Testament, See, I will send my messenger who prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. The coming of John was foretold, and he came. What John was doing was true, and the fact that people, including tax collectors, went to him, were repenting from their sin for their forgiveness, was a sign that Jesus was coming. In fact, there has been no greater prophet in all of history, and even no person who has ever lived is greater than John. Just go through the list of great people throughout Scripture. You have Abraham, you have David, Solomon, Noah, Elijah, Elisha, any great prophet you can think of. No one is greater than John. Yet, in the kingdom of God, even the least is greater than John. Think about the gravity of what Jesus says there. On the one hand, no one is greater than John. List every single person, greatest to last, and John is first. It's a testament to the importance of what he was doing in the way that John lived his life, that Jesus said he was the greatest. But on the other hand, you have the least. You have the lesser person in the kingdom, and they are greater than John. Does that even make any sense? That the least in the kingdom is greater than John, who Jesus said was greater than any person born of women? It's because of point three, 
In the kingdom of God, greatness is measured in Jesus. In the kingdom of God, greatness is measured in Jesus. If the first statement about John's greatness is a testament about how John lived in his role in preparing people for Jesus, then the second statement, that the least in the kingdom is greater than John, is a testament to the gravity of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Jesus' death and resurrection is so important that even the least, the ones last to the party, the ones that don't even do anything great in our minds, those people are first in the kingdom of God. This only happens through following Jesus. The gravity of following Jesus, of being part of his kingdom, is that now there is a level playing field. The first shall be last, and the very last shall be first. The outcasts, the lost causes, the unclean of the world become greater than the greatest prophet if we choose and accept to follow Jesus. If you're just comparing human to human, John is the greatest for sure. But what matter is rank in the kingdom of God? When everything gets weighed, compared, and scaled against Jesus. Then once we start talking about the kingdom of God, that's when people start getting offended. Since Jesus always sees the potential in us, in the true purpose we can live out, he invites us all. You see, Jesus doesn't see a ranking. He doesn't see a lesser or a more in when he looks at people. He sees the potential. He loves us for who we are, but also what we can be. And so that's what he does. He invites everyone. Everyone's invited to the party. But when everyone is invited to the party, that's when people start getting offended. You see, when we show up to parties, what do we do? We walk in, and then we just start ranking everyone on a scale of who's better than me, and more importantly, who is below me. What is he doing here? What is she doing here? Didn't he lose his job? What is she wearing? I heard they're having a rough time in their marriage. I heard he cheated people out of their money in their last job. I think that's the girl who has had five different husbands and had an affair with each of them. We ask, we start judging people by what they've done, what they do, what they wear, how much money they have. But then you have Jesus and what it's like in the kingdom of God, where the scale goes from Jesus down one step to everyone else. He's inviting everyone to this party. And if you're following Jesus, you're in the party and you realize all this ranking stuff is stupid because Jesus is so much greater than any, anything else I can think or imagine. Who cares where I rank? Because with Jesus, I'm first in his eyes. The least is the greatest. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. You see, Jesus' greatness came to earth. His greatness lived a perfect life. His greatness died on the cross. Through his greatness, he rose again. It's through his greatness that I choose to follow him and am forgiven of my sin. It's through his greatness that I have peace and hope for eternal life. It's through Jesus' greatness that I'm not offended that others that are just as messed up as I am are invited to the party and can join in if they choose to do so. The scandal of grace that I talked about earlier is that whoever or wherever we may find ourselves, we are invited to repentance and fellowship with Jesus. It's a scandal. It offends people, but it's what Jesus wants. He wants everyone at the party. It's the message found in Romans 8, 38 through 39, where Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In the kingdom of God, the least is the greatest, and he wants everyone to be a part. So Jesus drops that bit of knowledge on the people. He tells them about the kingdom of God and about John. And then he continues on. It says in Luke 7, 29-35, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right, because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees, the experts in the law, rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So Jesus says, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the fur for you. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. The people who had heard John and were baptized understood what Jesus was saying, and they acknowledged that God's way was right. They saw and heard what both John and Jesus were saying, and they let that change their lives. But you also have the Pharisees, who didn't accept John's baptism, who hadn't repented of their sin. And the Bible says their response was that they rejected God's purpose for themselves. Two weeks ago, we had a bunch of students get together at the barn, our youth gathering, and during our time together, we had some of these students who had chosen to follow Jesus take the step of being baptized. Check out this video celebrating each of their decisions. Baptism is a symbol of the inward change of our hearts choosing to follow Jesus. It's a time for people to put action to an inner change inside of their hearts. For each of these students at the barn and at that event, it was a way for them to put words to their decision to follow Jesus. The impact of following Jesus and for the students who were baptized and for everyone who follows Jesus is that we take a step in discovering our purpose. And that leads to point four. Jesus has a purpose for you. Those who acknowledged God discovered their purpose and the Pharisees who did not rejected their purpose. Jesus came to bring life, but that doesn't mean that everyone accepted it. Jesus compares the Pharisees to two groups of children playing games. The one group plays songs meant for singing at a wedding, but the other group won't join in. So then they try playing funeral music to try and get people to, to dance or sing or play along. And, and it's a weird game, but the kids won't play along and cry like being in a funeral. And so basically what Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees won't, won't play along. They're invited to the party, but they don't want to accept the invitation. These people are more concerned with their rank-and-file lives than being a part of the kingdom of God and joining in the love of Jesus. Jesus explains to the Pharisees that our gracious God had sent a messenger to prepare the way for the kingdom of God. John would be the one who would follow all the rules. In fact, he took up a vow saying he would never let alcohol touch his lips. If anyone should have respected him, it should have been the Pharisees. But instead, the whole time, he's accused of being filled with demons. They didn't want to accept John's message. They didn't want to repent. They didn't want to be baptized. 
They didn't like that John was including everyone. So then God sends another. You have Jesus coming. Because he's the son of God, he's the fulfillment of the law. So he goes where the people are. He invites all of them. He invites the sinners, the drunkards, gluttons. All are welcome to experience fellowship with Jesus. But the Pharisees accuse Jesus of the same sins of those people he is trying to help. God's work in either case is justified because of the fruit that it has produced. You're never going to please people who don't have ears to hear or eyes to see who Jesus, who Jesus is. The Pharisees didn't have ears to hear, they didn't have eyes to see, and they didn't follow Jesus. But his fruit was evident. People were being healed. People were being forgiven. People were, giving new, were, were given new life, but the Pharisees couldn't see it. If you have ears to hear and eyes to see, then choose to follow Jesus today. All of us have a God-given purpose in our lives that Jesus is trying to help us fulfill. And what's funny when you say stuff like that is that automatically assume that that's the case. Yeah, that's true for everyone else but, but ourselves. Maybe we look at our life and say, how could God take this life, this mess, this scandal, and help me live with purpose? The first way is through eternity. Your purpose is one of life and not of death. So when we follow Jesus, we find purpose in eternal life. But what is so great is that as we consider the kingdom of God, we have to remember that even the least of us is greater than John. This should not pump up our pride, but rather it should humble us that God would choose people like you and me to live with purpose in our lives. John the Baptist actually says it the best in another gospel. That's the next one in the gospel of John when he says, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Another way it's said is that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. What a breath of fresh air if followers of Jesus set out as our main purpose to make Jesus greater in the lives of ourselves and in the lives of others and made our own selves less. What would it look like if we made Jesus increase and ourselves decrease? If we'd quit, if we'd quit running with our preconceived notions of Jesus and just let him become greater naturally and authentically in our normal relationships. We fulfill our purpose and we choose to walk in the mess of repenting of our sin, but also realizing that the message of Jesus is for sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He's calling us to take a step of faith closer to him. For some that is following Jesus today, for others that is dreaming about ways you can point people to Jesus, for others that is just getting out in community and meeting tangible needs of people who need a helping hand or a warm dinner, or maybe just a willing listener. But our purpose starts inside of us, but it must come out. And when we are obedient, I believe that the ripple effect goes out further and further. And the current grows stronger and stronger. But if we choose to be like the Pharisees, that purpose, that God-given purpose that we have, it only goes inside of us and it gets sucked in and dies. Because we could never recognize Jesus, the friend of sinners, and his love for you and me and for those not yet at the party. And so today we have some action steps. The first is to see, hear, and choose to follow Jesus. If you've never taken the step of following Jesus, do that today. Have eyes to see, have ears to hear, 
and know that Jesus is your Savior. And so for other people who have chosen, find ways to make that greater. The next action step is consider the greatness of Jesus. Do you rank people? Do you, when you walk into a room, do you rank people of who's better to you and who's less than you? Begin to think with the kingdom mindset, thinking, you know what? There's Jesus and then there's everyone else. Jesus is so great that my life pales into comparison to who he is. In the kingdom of God, the least is the greatest. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so then the last action step today is to walk in purpose. For some of you, that's finding Jesus and finding eternal life. For others, that's sending out to find tangible ways to, to bring change in people's lives. How can you make Jesus greater this week? How can you make yourself lesser this week? How can you make Jesus increase and how can I make myself decrease this week? Those are your action steps. So as we get ready to sing and worship, let's just pray and let's join in and let's respond to what Jesus is telling us. God, I just come before you right now and I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you that that you take the scandal of grace and you forgive us of our sins. You forgive us for the things that we've done and you say, in the kingdom of God, even the least is greater than John. So God, I pray today that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see your message and that we would choose to follow you more wholeheartedly this week. God, I pray that we would take steps to walk in our purpose, to help people out, to be the friend of sinners so that more and more can come to the party. God, let us be people that invite. Let us be people that usher in your kingdom in our community as well, God. Lord, I just pray for your blessing on everyone here. I pray that you would help them this week, that they would see their purpose, that they would know what they're to do. And God, would you do it in us? Would you work through us? In your mighty name we pray. Amen.